Real Fun DC. So good you'll eat it up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I'm your host, Nikki Nellis, and I thank you so much for joining me. Just a little background on who I am and what I do. Um, I've been covering the D.C. food and wine scene for the last 18-plus years. You either hear me on WTOP Radio or Foodie and the Beast every Sunday with my husband, David, the only food and wine variety show in the city that's been on for 13 years. Uh, Sometimes you see me on television because i got lots to say, and people certainly want to hear it. You follow me on social at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I. IS on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, where it all began, the list are you on it.com, the online zine that talks about everything happening in the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene. So thanks for joining me today. There's so much happening. Uh, now you don't know this because of course I had a show last week, which was amazing with the Sosa E. Uh, if you're looking to take care of your health and your overall well-being, listen to that show. She is remarkable. Uh, But I was actually out of town. I took a quick family vacay to the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. And aside from issues getting there and incredibly ridiculous issues getting back, um, actually, if I may, a little travel rant. So, hey, airlines, all of you, we had a pact that you have totally thrown out the door. I'm like the giving tree here at this point. You ask me to buy tickets, I do it. You then ask me to buy seats. I then do that. You ask me to pay now for my luggage. I do that. And then you ask me to pay for heavy luggage, which of course I have. I have shoes. And I do that. And I do it all with a smile on my face. I wait on egregiously long lines to get through security. And I can no longer bring my own picnic of lovely snacks and my own champagne to drink on the planes. Uh, And again, I do that all with a smile. You are supposed to do two things, just two. You're supposed to get me to my destination and you're supposed to get my luggage there too. And that is not happening at all. It is almost an epic fail every time. And don't blame the pandemic. The situation has been going on for a long time. And as passengers, we are stuck because we have no options. And the problem I have, dear airlines, is I cannot quit you because I want to travel, but I deserve better, and you should do better. So, okay, rant over. So while I was getting crispy like bacon uh, in Puerto Rico and drinking all the Whispering Angel that that island could hold, um, and dining out also in amazing restaurants, thanks to Jean-Paul Sabatier, who is uh, a local here in D.C., but he is born and raised in Puerto Rico, and he sent me to some just amazing restaurants. Some were glorious and beautiful. Some were little holes in the wall. But uh, we did really eat and drink well. So what did I miss? Well, a lot in the D.C. metro area this past week. Um, And lucky for me, I have people here who are going to fill me in. So the Rammy nominations were announced, a new mask mandate, and so much more. So good thing uh, my good friend and regular contributor, RAMWs, Kathy Hollinger is back to fill us in. And later in the show, Shane Pamahambo, yes, Shane, did I say it right? Absolutely, that's correct. Excellent. So (laughs) Shane is the owner, designer, and art curator of the newly opened Wino in Boston Quarter. So we're going to chat about this new destination location that mixes food and drinks and art shows. Um, And with Shane came, uh, he brought two artists with him who he showcases, which I'm very excited to talk to. So I have Aaron Woes Martin and local Virginia artist, Rodrigo Padel. Did I say that right, Rodrigo? You did very good. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, so we will get to them later in the show, but right now I got Kathy Hollinger with me. Hey, Kath, how are you? Hey, Nick, I'm good. Glad to be here. Happy to to be able to chat again. I know. So let's start with the good stuff. The good stuff is the Rammy nominations. I hated, hated, hated missing it, but it looked like such a fabulous party. Tell us how it went. So yeah, we missed you a lot. So we had, you know, the first time we are bringing a lot of people together. We brought 
probably over 550 people together mm -hmm. at the point um, at down at buzzard point right and it was more than anything while it was about uh, the Rammies nominations and celebrating those who have gone above and beyond and should be highlighted in a crazy, crazy year. Nikki, it was really about a gathering of bringing industry together. Um, people were delighted to see one another. They were celebrating. They were toasting one another. I mean, the reality is that while our industry has always been open and we never closed during the pandemic, we may have looked different, but we know that operators and chefs and workers who stayed with the industry, they were 100% head down. So it was really, really hard, even at the time where one could see one another, people couldn't. They were working around the clock, trying to figure out how to navigate the pandemic, post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, I mean, wherever we are right now. So it was a fantastic event. We have more finalists than we've ever had because we wanted to be as inclusive as possible. We so have, can we, yeah. can I, just I think it's important to let the public know that this is this is no longer the like best meal, best diner, you know, best best uh, best brunch, whatever. Like all, it used to be all best right. dives, but that's not what you're doing this year. So can we sort of explain? How, how the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington sort of changed the story, especially given what's happened over the last 18 years. No, months. you bet, Nick. Um, I think that's really important. I think one thing that we realized, you know, during the pandemic is that, first of all, as a trade association, we were completely flipping everything on its head. I mean, it was all about, while trade organizations are designed to think about programming and membership and all the programs that would and benefits that would come with membership. It was absolutely a everyone is invited to our community and everybody is a part of that community member or non member. And that goes for the Rammies as well. This is typically a celebratory process and evening that showcases accomplishments from the previous year coming off of the pandemic what we knew is that the categories best of best chef best new restaurant they don't necessarily apply what applies is those areas and opportunities where operators and restaurants and companies really did the pivot very well thought about their neighbors thought about ways in which they can create new services when they were only a takeout or to-go facility. So what would typically be a formal fine dining category became a finer dining in a box to-go category where everything was about how these restaurant operators rethought and reimagined how to do business in a crazy, crazy time. So that is what we're seeing this year. Everyone is able to be nominated and was able to be nominated. It was an incredibly inclusive process and our finalists absolutely reflect that diversity. Well, and I'm thrilled to hear that. I think um, it, I hated missing it because I know that nominations party is always such a gathering anyway, but since we all haven't seen each other face to face in 18 months or however long it's been, I can't even keep track anymore. Um, it just must have felt so good for everybody, it right? Did. Not nominated or not. Um, okay, but also while I was gone, some some stuff went down. Uh, things are changing. Uh, so what do we got with masks, with the Delta variant? Um, how are restaurants behaving here? I will tell you that in Puerto Rico, it was my first experience with it and I applaud it. Uh, I had to show my vaccination card at restaurants and they told us if you come without it you're not eating here and i i was like yes i'm with you let's do it that's the way it should be so what's happening here in dc well you've got to you know you've got several things happening i mean one is you have in dc a mask mandate that has been re re-implemented right so that is that is in place and then what you're seeing is you know, while quietly you have many operators who are now deciding to give their workers notice around 
we are expecting that all our employees are vaccinated. And then you have some that are also expecting that their diners are vaccinated. That we're seeing more trending across the country versus right here in DC. But again, we should not be surprised if that trend picks up and we see more of that. You know, where we are as an organization, I just wanna know where our restaurant operators are. What do they want to do? What do they feel comfortable doing? The reality is that things are changing very quickly and we are seeing that vaccination is a way that has proven to mitigate any of the severity of what this pandemic has created in terms of illness, hospitalization. So you are seeing more and more people require that vaccination, passport, card, verification. At the Rammies, we're doing that as well. You must be vaccinated if you want to come to the, to the event. This is not a required event. This is an event by choice, but our choice as an organization is we wanna bring people together in a way that they can celebrate, but do that safely. Well, I, I again, I applaud that. It makes me feel better. It's what I want. I mean, I don't want to go to the Rammies after I get my makeup done and my hair done in a mask. I want to be vaccinated. I want to go in and I want to be able to have a good time. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. um, and I, I, we are very fortunate where we live here in the DC metro area that there are, that our numbers are so good and that there are so many people who are vaccinated. I mean, we're in a bit of a bubble because, you know, I feel like a lot of people feel the same way. Um, but as a business, it is harder um, to, to deal with. Do you, are you hearing from restaurants that they wish the mayor would make the call? Would that be preferable to them? Do you know what I mean? Because the government is so, because it's become so politicized, the government is so wishy-washy and making any sort of major calls. Yeah, I think, I mean, what we have heard is that we know that when a mandate is a mandate, it creates a level playing field immediately, right? Everybody has to do it. Everybody has to play according to those rules. It is, it is very difficult and challenging that restaurant, small businesses and restaurant operators have to make these decisions on their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone is looking to one another to figure out what to do. Um, so yes, I think that their preference is that this is a mandate that is coming from the city in this case, but you also have people who are saying we wish it was a mandate that was coming from our country on a federal level, at least for a period of time to ensure that we get through this period and we are not constantly revisiting a time of surge, a time of uncertainty. I mean, at some point, come on, this pandemic has to be over. <laughs> we keep, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It just, it's like that movie Poltergeist. It just keeps getting further and further away. You know what I mean? I don't know if you remember that part, but like, it's just, it's, it just doesn't end. Completely. Um, and what are you hearing from restaurants about masks? Everybody's on board. Everybody's cool. It's no big deal. You know, it's so interesting. We've heard very little pushback on any level. And this is what I will say. We've done this before. We know how to do it. The idea is that if you are not eating or drinking, put on your mask, you could get into a restaurant, start eating and drinking immediately if you don't want to have a mask on. Just drink a lot, right? <laughs> but I think that um, what becomes a little bit of a challenge is we were never in this situation where bars were fully open right. and that people had standing room where people could gather in that capacity. Mm. So it is a challenge. I think nightclubs and um, nightlife yeah, is probably exactly. more challenged than, an, than a restaurant operator. Right. I think that's probably going to be some of the tougher ones. You know, these concerts are starting, plays are starting, the convention center is back open. So it's just going to be interesting to see how each sort of venue handles what they have in front of them. Cap, tell everybody when the Rammies are, because we didn't mention it, yeah. um, and what's going to happen this year. So the Rammies are Sunday night, always a Sunday evening, September 19th at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center. Tickets are on sale. Uh, we are encouraging that those who want to come 
A, make sure you're vaccinated. If you haven't been, you have time to get vaccinated. And if you want to come, do it. Um, but go to uh, remw.org and it will direct you to all of the details for the evening. Event starts at 5. It goes through until 11 p.m. Opening reception, awards program, and then a fantastic party from 7 into 11, 7 p.m. until 11. So please come out. It's a great evening to celebrate, and we do have so much to celebrate this year. We do, and I can't wait to be there. Um, I think I'm presenting or something this year. Which yes, is you are. It's a pleasure. So uh, thanks. All right, Kathy Hollinger. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us every other week to keep us updated. I think a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, do we need to do this anymore? And unfortunately, fortunately, I'm not seeing you, but we do. Yeah. So thank you for all the intel uh, today, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for all you do. It's Industry Night with Mickey Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Well, as always, I appreciate Kathy Hollinger joining us. She's always uh, a fountain of information. And even though there is a light at the end of the tunnel, as I said, it is extending. So pay attention. And when you go into a local retail or restaurant or really anywhere, there are signs that tell you what to do. And please, mask up. It's just not that big of a deal. And uh, if you haven't been vaccinated, I don't know what you're waiting for. I feel like I have made every plea in the world. But please. Do it. You can travel. You can go to the Rammies. You can live your life. Uh, and we can really get back to whatever the new normal is. Okay, so as I promised at the beginning of the show, we're talking about art in the city. So uh, owner of the Wino, uh, Shane is here. And they feature, like, internationally recognized artists at this venue. And it's a restaurant and a retail art gallery. And there's collectibles. Um, and he says that he focuses on lowbrow pop surrealist genre, which is way above my pay grade. I have no idea what that means, but I feel like we're going to find out. And we're also talking with artists feature at Wino, um, Aaron Woes Martin and Rodrigo Pardell. So, uh, Shane, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you have a very uh, long history with art. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um... Yeah, I guess it all started um, from my journey. You know, as a kid, I was born and raised in New York in Queens, and um, no, I grew up. I can't believe that. I find that really <laughs> hard to believe. Yeah, it was true, and um, it was during the hip hop graffiti era. I wasn't a cool kid, so I was not part of it. But it was in my psyche; it was all around. So when I moved to Northern Virginia um, in my teenage years, it was quite the contrast because it's a great museum town. But it didn't have that that underlining graffiti scene and, and the art scene. So, you know, I continued with my life. Went to school, um, went to Virginia Tech, and um, I saw one of the artists that he had an article. Uh, this um, break dancer, Rock, uh, those green from Rock City Crew, who was friends with my uh, cousin, you know, Crazy Legs, and these are just like the friends. And he just sold a painting for like, I think it was thirty five thousand dollars. Wow. And I was like, wow. Like, and he started off with doing graffiti, breakdancing, and then he went into fine arts. And that's how I discovered this whole lowbrow scene. Um, and then I would start collecting what I could. And that kind of started the journey. Well, so what it, it, is it called lowbrow? Is that what the genre is called? It doesn't really have a name. It started about uh, 25 to 30 years ago in California during the skateboard um, culture. And it just kind of started. And, you know, we had, like I said, graffiti in the 70s. We had street art right. um, in the 80s and 90s. And then in 2000, it kind of morphed into murals. But it's always the same scene. I like calling it pop surrealist because it's all about pop culture, either making fun of it, embracing it. or But it's, it's very much the now and the culture. So how did you go from being this collector to showcasing? Because that's a, that's a big leap. No, sure. It's like I said, it's all part of the journey. So um, I would I found myself going to New York for art openings in Soho and in different galleries that I looked up to. Okay. And then I was like, this sucks. Why do I have to go to New York? Why don't we have this here in D.C.? So I'm a big fan of if you want to make a change, you know, do it yourself. So I said, I wonder if there's people like me. And I opened up the gallery um, in 2007 and 1600 people showed up to my opening reception. 
Wow. And then, I, and I was like, wow, there are plenty of people. This? Where did you do it? What, how did you do it? So, so I'm an architect. I have a master's in architecture. And I had a building in Old Town where I had 13 architects working for me. Okay. I moved them all upstairs and I made the first floor a gallery oh. and um, had this sold out show. And then the next morning, uh, one of my clients uh, who owned 14 buildings, his father passed away, gave him, you know, all these, these buildings says, hey, I have a building in Old Town you know, uh, you should do what you're doing here over there. And one thing led to another. I did a pop-up in 2007, um, was, you know, did, had shows there for about six months. And then I opened up in the National Harbor. Uh, it was there for nine years. Right. So, it, but at that point, you're just a gallery, right? And you're just showcasing different art, but it's not your art. At what point are you like curating with different artists, meeting new people? How do you go about doing that? So, so I tell people all the time, I'm a product of MySpace because it's pretty funny because um, when I started, MySpace was I mean, just starting. I'm not even a product of MySpace. You got to There you go. <laughs> I'm dating. Oh, man, now, now I'm in trouble. Well, yeah, I'm a product of MySpace. And uh, what was really neat was I would go and find my friend or the artist that I would look up to. And then they had their 16 friends. And then I would meet their portfolios. And, and you know, I would basically meet hundreds of people a night, which mm -hmm. you couldn't do beforehand. And so... I was one of the first, um, you know, few galleries that um, there, there was a worldwide collective. Typically, people would collect the people around you because, you know, within a 50-mile radius, you're talking to these people. Sure. But because, because of MySpace, I was talking to people all around the world. So it was really an eye-opener. And then I had like 400 friends, I think, the first nights. And it was 16,000 friends the first week and 60,000 friends the first month. So I was like, I was like, wow, this is huge. So that's kind of how that whole thing started. So that makes sense. So it, but my question is, is how do you, for people who are really unfamiliar with the art world, you know, like uh -huh. I love going to museums. I certainly love going to art galleries. I have a couple pieces that I love, but I'm uh -huh. not a collector by any stretch. How do you engage with uh, people on all levels to engage with art? Like how do you find buyers? How do you find collectors? How are those relationships fostered? So, yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. I think first and foremost, everybody should buy art because you collect, you connect with it, right? So if you see a piece of art, it, it, it encapsulates uh, a moment in your life, either good or bad, that you want to look at that painting and go, oh, that, that reminds me back when I was 20, 30, 40, 50, name or whatever. So that's the beauty behind art. Now, I think what's happened is, like, like I said, in the 80s and 90s, um, you saw the rise of some artists, uh, specifically Kevin Donnelly cause who like he took down um, a poster from a bus bus stop, mm -hmm. went to his house, painted on the poster, put it back into the bus stop. And uh, in graffiti, there's two ways of getting famous. One is doing something that nobody has ever done before. And the second thing is how long it lasts. So this was kind of the same thing where all of a sudden this guy is doing street art on bus stops. Well, the funny part to that is, fast forward, I think it was a year, two years later, Guess hires him to do the same uh, campaign with Rihanna and Pharrell. Mm. And I think it was probably, he got $600,000 or something out of it. So, so it was the same thing where people are like, oh, and what does this happen? Now he's selling millions of dollars in 45 seconds, um, which is phenomenal. Amazing. But, I, you know, I think when you say graffiti, people think people who are not, you know, um, well-versed in that form of art, you know, I think of like scrawling on the side of a wall. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's a, it's a turn on a traditional word that was really kind of like vandalism, but now it's art. It's still vandalism. <laughs> any, kind of, any kind of graffiti. If you're not, you know, if you don't have the permission of the building owner, uh -huh. you're breaking the law. But, um, but yeah, no graffiti. Yeah. Graffiti is bad. Tagging is bad. It's just that's the culture. Everything is from something else. You know, something grew out of something. It doesn't just happen out of thin air. So in the 70s, it was, it was a way for the community to speak. In sure. the 80s and 90s, it was artists attacking the community in, a, in, in an artful way. By, like Shepard Ferry would do obey stickers everywhere. And, you know, it was kind of like saying, stop, wake up. You know, don't just follow the system kind of thing. So that was the 80s and 90s. And then in 2000, that's when people started making a lot of money. And that's when the collectors were like, oh, okay, so I can buy, like for instance, I have a, 
a sculpture from Cause. I bought it for two hundred and fifty dollars. And uh, a month ago, my buddy was sitting in the living room, and he goes, "How much is that Cause worth?" And I looked up StockX, and it was worth thirteen thousand dollars. That's amazing. And that was eleven years ago. I didn't buy it. It was a, it's a little Darth Vader, and I'm sure Woz has it because he's a serious collector. You should see I mean, his, I his see collection. That Woz is a serious collector, a very serious. serious collector. We're gonna get into that Woz in just. Oh yeah, minutes. wait till you told you about his collection. Yeah. Um. So okay, now so you're doing these pop ups. You have the space. What what brings you to today? Like, how do we get to Wino in Boston? What what? Why a sure. restaurant? Why a bar? Why all these other accoutrements to the art? Sure, sure. So it it's it's all kind of um. You know, I saw this uh, famous uh, marketing guy in 2008, I'm sorry, in 1998. And he had this, it was kind of like Ray Dalio and he had this big sign in the back of him and said, the, the marketing is of the future is like sex, only the losers pay. And I was like, what does that mean? This is 98, but he was looking at social media and how MySpace and he was forecasting the future. Mm -hmm. uh, fast forward to 2010, 2008, and I see what's happening with social media. I see I now I have over 150,000 friends, and it's like this whole thing. So I, I really immediately started rethinking what I was doing, and I said, well, galleries are going to be. I hate to say it, but the majority of the galleries are going to be a thing of the past because with social media and Instagram, you're seeing the artists paint live. You can buy the artwork right away. Some of my artists have 600 plus thousand followers. Mm -hmm. So you do the math. I mean, it's much more eyes than, than an art show. So I made it a point to really make myself a curator and really be a leader in what I do. And that's what kind of started this whole goal of how do I get in front of as many people as possible? So the, the next three years of my journey, we're doing these pop-up events where I, like in Crystal City, I brought 35,000 people for D40. I, I did a Richard Muir project where I brought 107 murals in five years to the city of Richmond. And for me, that's all about engagement and getting out to, to the people. But I will say, I mean, just it's, it's a total sidebar and a conversation for another time. But uh -huh. the um, change in city landscapes and the investment in art murals throughout the city is like, you know, in the last 10 years, it's changed cities all across the country. Um, oh, it's 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 a phenomenon. It, it's right? so like look at it's a beautiful city. thing. Look at Rich, yeah. Richmond's such a great example. There are magnificent murals all over Richmond. Right. So that was so Richmond was always an arts town, mm -hmm. um, and and you know I fell in love with it immediately. I did this G forty art summit. It was supposed to be a, a, a one month pop up. Um, they, you know, as luck would have it, um, the rich city of Richmond wanted to create an arts district, and I told them, I said, wouldn't it be awesome? To actually drive and see art on the walls versus just a banner that said art right. and they were like oh my god that makes a lot of sense and i'm like yeah of course and you think you're in an art district so they helped me help them and they gave me money to add more murals to that and i did 22 murals that in two weeks in, in richmond wow. and yeah and then i got this light bulb uh, because i kept hearing the same story from the business owners they all said we love richmond we just wish there was more feet on the street more more traffic so then I got a light bulb and I said, well, if I make the city of Richmond a destination for mural lovers worldwide, it's going to bring all this tourism. Tourism is going to equate to people going to the restaurants, going to the coffee shops, going to the bar, and then it becomes economic development. Mm -hmm. Well, fast forward five years later, that's exactly what happened. The city of Richmond is now known for, um, for murals worldwide. People are coming. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to, to make a change like that for sure. Well, I do love that. And then, so now let's just talk about quickly Wino in Boston, the restaurant, the bar, what, what, let's just give people like a preview if they have, like, since it's pretty new and they haven't been there yet. Sure. Yeah. So I guess the last four years is when I kind of really focus on um, doing pop-up venues. So I had Blind Wino for four years. Um, that's where I introduced art to to people by renting, having a venue that they can rent and, and do concerts and music. And it was really amazing. And, and it's something in A Street. So all that kind of led up to my 10 year anniversary. And for my 10 year anniversary, I said, well, how do I do the next 10 years better? Like, what have I done? And essentially, that's when I thought about all the events and, and, the, and the full immersion murals from Blind Wino and, and just how, you know, all the things that works in during an art show. 
And that's why I decided to make Wino. So Wino is, you know, the, the next 10 years and it has, uh, you know, three bars. One's a tasting bar, one's a regular bar, one's a food and beverage bar. It has a retail component where you can get these designer collectibles, which you don't have to go to, you know, Soho, Kid Robot to find. You can find it right here in the DC metro area. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, the art gallery where we do shows every month. So it's a very dynamic space, six things, like everything that I've been doing in the last 14 years. Sounds like a no. six ring circus. Like you just they, have yeah. a lot going on in each space. And, right. and, and it's the beautiful part is it's all well balanced in an open floor plan where it doesn't feel like segmented. It doesn't feel like, oh, it's orchestrated. I, it I just, have to go here. I have to right. make a special trip. All right. You flow any way you want. Exactly. I'm going to come back to you. But right now I want to okay. talk to some of the artists you're working with. Uh, and how they're being showcased at your space and the, and the work that they're doing. Um, Rodrigo, let's start with you. Um, you're a local, you're in the Virginia area. Tell me, um, you're an illustrator and a muralist. Tell me a little bit about your work and um, how you got into it and the kinds of uh, work we can see that you do. Hi, uh, yeah, thanks for having me here as well. Um, so my journey it has spanned through different genres. I started with illustration um, in my teenage and juvenile years. I really cracked into uh, graffiti. Um, and I don't know if I ever really let go of that. Um, and I then towards my last uh, little bit has been more straddling. I'm not gonna say the fine art, but we're getting into that area. Okay. And I do bring in all those different types of um, uh, mediums into my work and right now uh the work that I'm, I'm i'm really exploring with oil paintings uh is is somewhat surrealist uh but it it has hints of of, of elements from all of those genres previously done um i also do a lot of uh, murals and it's it does sustain me uh both i'm able to work with corporations and also work with like local businesses and private and both public. So yeah, never do I have a week that that duplicates. Uh, one week I might be doing a ton of illustrations, paintings and murals. Next week I might be doing animation or design. So it does keep everything lively. Um, so my introduction with, uh, with Shane, I'd say about six years ago is really, has been very busy since then. He's kept me quite busy, which uh, has been a, quite a good marriage. Um, so excited about that. and. So, well, before we get into your partnership with Shane, I'd like to go back to murals for a minute because it sort of piggybacks on our conversation earlier. So when you're doing murals, I mean, we have this explosion of murals happening nationally. How are you working with people? Are they more interior? Are they more exterior? Do you, uh, do they come to you? Do you pitch them? Do you give them like the idea of what you're going to do? How does it, give us a little rundown on how it works. So a little bit of everything really um there is i do have a small team that's able to reach out to certain people that have been um that are native to this area mm -hmm. um where i'm still new it's been about maybe it's like seven eight years ago um yes sometimes with uh, different clients i'll they'll i usually put in two categories i'll put in for design a, a design project where they have let's say a 60 70 percent idea of what they want mm -hmm. and I'm able to execute that. The other one would be more of an artist project where they're giving me full trust. They're like, we have this seed of an idea and we want you to run with it because you really uh, love your portfolio. And I can do that as well. I mean, Which do you as prefer? much as- Do you prefer one? I, don't why, I, I think I'd always prefer as an artist to work on my own, to do my own thing. Um, I think a lot do, but I can't, I often, don't want to be stubborn enough to not work with people and sometimes we're just visual problem solvers right like we're able to uh do something in a, in a space that they, they they have an idea for uh, so i have learned and gained a lot of new skills and and, and maneuvering abilities because of, of that clientele as well so but i have to admit the further along in my career as i go it's becoming more on the artist end of things which is not a problem for me well, but I would also assume that since you've been around and you've been doing this for so long, I would hope that the people who do come to you trust you because they do love your portfolio and they know that what you're going to execute is going to be 
you know, aesthetically pleasing and within their frame of what they're looking for. So just a quickly, do you ever like see a wall and think, oh God, I really want to paint something there. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> All the time. And at the, even as a graffiti artist in me, I mean, I'll see walls as big as 10 stories high. And I'm like, man, I have so many ideas for that spot. Right. I just want that um, <laughs> I, do, I just, yeah, give me the space. I'm not even a fan of heights but I want to get up there and paint it. So it's just, the art comes first. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Aaron, you want me to call you Woes? You want me to call you Aaron? Am I like your mom or, or like your Either friend? or, either or. Woes or Aaron, let's go. Cool. Uh, so mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about you. Uh, we'll get into your collection of tchotchkes okay. behind you mm -hmm. in just a second artwork. One or the other depends. It's all in the eye of the beholder. Um, tell us about you and your background. Um, you're a multimedia artist. Let's talk about what that means. Yeah, I'm a multimedia artist um, out of Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, I was born in Hawaii and uh, I've been doing full-time art for over 20 years now as a, mainly as a a painter and a toy designer. So I, I, I dab in a lot of, you know, a lot of different mediums, um, doing um, fine art gallery shows to designer toys, murals, corporate and personal. Um, and um, yeah, just being a creative, you know, trying well, to keep so it going. Let's talk about that creative. Um, Cause I also have here that you're a puppeteer, which is more uh, theatrical. Um, and something about uh, disgruntled panda bears. What what does that mean? So I've been painting panda bears for over twenty years, pretty okay. much in my whole career. It's kind of a brand uh, and iconic character that I paint. That um, started off as a a blessing, and a, it was a, 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 a uh, an accident actually, because um, I started off doing live art, live paintings, and um, does that just mean like you would be somewhere and you would paint? while yeah. something was happening at an event i used to paint right. a lot of these live poetry events and mm. um i was sketching out a grizzly bear and um a friend forgot my paint and all i had pretty much was black and white and little random colors of paint so i had to change that grizzly into a panda bear and that's why he's angry looking because you know pandas don't have no facial expressions or anything like that they right. do not growl like grizzly bears but they've turned into that. So they're basically a grizzly bear with a panda colorway on them, so. Okay. And is that, <laughs> is that primarily in painting or do you also do that? Like, do you create toys out of that? Yeah, yeah, I make designer toys and sculptures with the same kind of uh, um, topic and, and character character uh, style. When you say toys, do you mean figurines? What do, what do your toys look like? Uh, yeah, I'll actually grab one, you can see it. Okay, hurry, because we're on radio. Okay, so since you can't see what I see, he's got shelves and shelves of, it looks like collector items. Okay, so, so yeah, this is made out of um, resin. Resin, okay. Resin, yeah, and um, I've done vinyl toys also, but I like the weight of resin because it also feels like, like more like an art piece. Is it solid? Or is yeah. it jelly? Like, what does it feel like? It's solid. It feels like glass. It feels like glass, okay. Yeah, it does feel like glass, and, it's, and it, it has weight to it. How do you work with resin? Is that a mold or? Yeah, so you usually either get a traditional sculptor to sculpt uh, your idea. Uh, I do not sculpt. Um, well, I don't trust my sculpting. Okay. But um, but now we have 3D artists that can like do your, like do your well, character. That's what I was going to ask. Do you yeah. use a 3D printer and create? Yeah, 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 totally. They do, they do a rendering. They do a oh. STL rendering of your of your character, and then they print it through a machine, and then from there they can mold it, and then you can either get it pad printed, or like myself, I like to hand paint it because it's a lot more personal and it's more of an original piece. That's amazing. I I've seen more and more with the three D printers, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the art world, and I just think what's happening there is really fascinating because as that technology advances, yes, so too will the art. So since you didn't start with 3d printers how did like how does tech affect your art oh it works well i i just you know um 
my colleagues kind of, we, we all move with the system. So, you know, there's some, a new idea comes up. He's like, Hey, I have this new technology we could play with. Let's try it out. So, you know, I, I get on the creative end and I design a character or whatever and have them play with it and see what the outcome is. And it's usually really awesome. So where are your toys? Like, I hate calling them toys. Cause I feel like toys kinds of, I mean, you call them toys, but it, I feel like it, they're art pieces, aren't they? Yeah, they're definitely art pieces. I, I, I dabble in that, like the more fine art type of sculpture art pieces and also do designer toy, which is actual toys made out of vinyl. Okay, and where, like, for who? Like, give us an example. Uh, uh, I've worked with Kid Robot. They're okay. a pretty big company that, that yeah. create vinyl toys. I've done work with MindStyle Disney um on a project that we recreated stitch this was years ago um which was really successful uh-huh. and um yeah a lot of my toys actually were sold by shane shane picked up a lot of my my vinyl toys or whatever and sold it out of his shop throughout the years okay so i guess now let's open it up a little bit so well how did you go about meeting shane how did that happen <laughs> um he had um Actually, he was trying to message me through MySpace, I believe, and I'm very bad at... I can't believe I've never been on MySpace. Like, I feel like there's something <laughs> wrong with me all of a sudden. Yeah, that's how my network started. Like, exactly how Shane was talking about. Like, I started meeting artists from all over the world on MySpace, and it became a network. So then they would be like, hey, there's a group show here in San Francisco. Would you like to be a part of it? And I'd be like, sure. So I would send my piece there, and vice versa. I was living... I would move to... When I was moving in Seattle, I'd be like hey, I can get you guys in this show. And all of a sudden, it was just like this huge network of people passing information and getting people into shows. And then that just grew and grew and grew. And a lot of us are still here. And, you know, um, it moved it moved along. It's like the tech world. Like, we, we, we just advance. Rodrigo, did, was your experience similar? Um, so what happened was I moved into the North Virginia area. And I had to kind of restart with my whole networking situation. And where were you before? Because uh, you're originally from Chile, right? Born in Chile, but moved to central Canada, actually, to the city of Winnipeg. So very different. Um, I mean, not not a huge culture shock, but different as far as population and the art scene there compared to here. Um, although I did have connections and I worked with a lot of clientele here in the North Virginia and DC area prior. Okay. Um, but uh, I went to a local gallery. I was living in, uh, I am still living in Leesburg. And although I'm mainly work out in this area, out in Leesburg, there wasn't too much going on down there. And uh, luckily I went to a local gallery there. And I just thought, you know, I have to start networking to the local art community in order to bridge out to the, anyone's further from there. They suggested coming down to check out Wino at, at the National Harbor, which I did. I didn't see Shane that day, but when I went there, I was pretty blown away at the whole layout and the whole collection of artists that are there. And I saw that you can send an application. So I sent one in and I didn't, because you could, you could send applications through email through various galleries all over and, you know, you're lucky if anyone's going to see them. They're busy. They probably get flooded with emails. Right. Um, but I did send one in, and it turns out he got back to me, actually. It was either like a day or so later, and he told me. That was the first thing he said. I never. He's like, I rarely uh, check on these because I'm just flooded with these, but I had to check out your work, and I really like your work. Um, do you want to be involved in a group show, which was for the 8th Street uh, location? And... Uh, I gotta admit that kind of blew my mind as far as being able to go there. I had a, had a mural to do behind my space where I was gonna uh, uh, portray my, my paintings, exhibit my stuff. And um, I think it was within an hour and a half to two hours I finished my mural. It was, it was quite a large wall. And uh, he, he couldn't believe it. I remember his reaction. He had to call the rest of the staff to be like, that wasn't there like an hour or two ago. Amazing. And I, I think that's like the graffiti artist to me. When you got a spot to rock, you got to do it. You got to do it quick. You know, like you can't just hanging around. You got to execute. Yeah, so I that I don't think people know that. Like to me, like I think, um, like I think of a mural, and I think, oh my god, like how labor intensive it must be to like make. How do you take something that like you know you sketch on a piece of paper, and then all of a sudden it's on a massive wall? Like just understanding I mean, scale alone right I, I, well it depends different mediums i have worked with 
other types like paintbrush and rolling those those take a little longer but i'm so handy with the spray cans we've been rocking it since the early 90s right. and so with the spray paint i love it because it just goes so fast and so sharp and the fades you can't really really hard to duplicate that through a paintbrush um in a timely manner right so a lot of times when i work with some clientele i warn them i work fast i don't rush but i work fast because i paint practically daily so sometimes they are surprised that like they they leave for the day i'm working all night come back and act it's already done mm -hmm. or it's completely done and and i think that's the same that's always been my attitude and since i did that with shane since uh, that moment He's like, we got a lot of work to do together. I think that's the end of that. And it, the, the show was awesome. Uh, had such a big collection of people there. I was, I was blown away. And uh, since then, things have just uh, grown. So. so now, what kind of pieces do you have available at the new property in Boston? So the show will be coming up uh, this month on the 19th. And uh, it will be oil paintings. Um, they're very, they're not, hyper-realistic, but they're what's called high realism. So it has that realistic look, but it's, um, if you go up close, you can see it's just brushstrokes that are blended, but it's, it has a very, how should I say this? Um, the, the show is called Hallucinations. Mm -hmm. And uh, that goes with a lot of the, um, my background in uh, learning about plant medicine and whatnot through indigenous cultures. Mm. I've had a lot of uh, research in that and I've taken in that and those experiences I'm going to be bringing into this. So they're going to have a very dreamlike uh, type of uh, finish on them. So it's something you have to see. Uh, I encourage people to check out the artwork. A lot of people often think it's a photograph and nope, that's a painting. You got to come see it for yourself. Oh. Um, so that's the whole game. And that's kind of what I'm trying to bridge into my, my mural work lately, which uh, is totally uh, something I'm excited for. Okay. And Rose, what about you? What kind of stuff can we find now? And like, what sort of things will you be showcasing uh, with Shane? Um, I have a bunch of projects with Shane, actually. Um, group shows with my crew. Um, I'm probably going to bring some of my puppeteering. So to, when you say puppeteering, does that mean like an actual show or you're selling puppets? Oh, no, no. Um, so during the pandemic, I lost a lot of my mural jobs. Uh, one of my biggest jobs was going to be in Jordan. In the Middle oh, East, wow. I was gonna paint a huge building out there, and I would have seen Petra and Egypt. And I'm so that's... desperate to go to Jordan; I can't even begin to tell you. So, oh I'm man, so I'm, sorry I'm so bummed. I've painted meals all over the place: Mongolia, Switzerland, Berlin, everywhere. And I was so bummed to lose this job. But during that whole time, I started making these puppets of my friends, and um, we started going live on Twitch, like streaming and stuff. <laughs> and um, it's a it's a hip hop puppet show, and it 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 kind of blew up out of the pandemic so you know we, we're we're looking forward to working with people like jazzy jeff and de la soul and, cool. and a lot of cool like hip-hop legends you know and and it's been really fun and and fortunately my my even my regular art career started picking up with a bunch of festivals and yeah. and stuff like that and you know shane's always been my my east coast representative and he's always worked with me and i've always come back to him and he's just a great guy to work with that is great. So Shane, for you, um, especially after the pandemic, opening up this space mid-pandemic-ish, um, what does it mean for you in showcasing different artists and, and giving them more platform to showcase their work? Sure. I think you hit it right there on the head. Um, the reason I started Art Wino was to bring art to the masses that weren't able to see it before. And now with the restaurant, it's amazing because I have such a great platform now. People are coming to eat, and I mean, our, my chef's phenomenal. The, the our sommeliers, his wine list is incredible. Our cocktail bar is all freshly squeezed. So you combine all that, uh, people come for that, and then they see the art, and they're like, "Oh my god, what is this?" And then you introduce, I'm going to say, hundreds of people a day. Um, like Wallace's art is hanging right now for another two weeks until Rodrigo show starts and every day 200 people are seeing it a day so it's 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 an awesome uh, platform for sure and will you also be doing uh like when rodrigo changes everything over will it be like a show will you do like gallery opening kind of things are that, that's a thing that's exactly right we have a gallery opening for each um show 
So Wozes was last month and Rodrigo's is coming up August 19th. Fantastic. Well, listen, um, believe it or not, the show's over, but I want to thank you all for joining me today. This has been so interesting. So Woz, give us your, everybody give us your Instagram because that's where we'll see all your work. So what's your Instagram? Uh, It's at Woz, W-O-E-S on Instagram. You can find all my information there. Excellent. And Rodrigo? My Instagram is my full name. Uh, it's uh, Rodrigo Pradell. Uh, the last name Pradell is P-R-A-D-L. And perhaps you should find a smaller one to work with <laughs> for Instagram handle. That's okay. They'll find you. And uh, Shane, tell everybody where they can find uh, Wino and information on all the art that's there. And of course, the menus and the drinks and et cetera. Absolutely. So Wino VA, so W-H-I-N-O, V is in Victor, A. Dot com and if you go to the events uh, section of the website this shows you all the different events we have food uh, and drink events as well as art events and social events so people can sign up and get an e- email blast when the shows come up excellent thank you guys so much yeah, thank you so that was another amazing show i mean we got a little bit of culture on the show for a change which i really loved uh i think what's happening in the dc art world is just amazing and we're so lucky we have places like wino in boston quarter to showcase artists not just locally but from around the world uh so please go and check out what uh shane is offering and see uh aaron woves martin's fabulous work and uh rodrigo pradell who will be there uh at the end of the month um and of course thank you to kathy hollinger Um, The Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington has worked tirelessly during this entire pandemic to make sure restaurants are not just surviving, but also thriving. And her and her team just don't stop. And I'm so grateful that they join us uh, every other week to keep us posted on what's happening. Um, So I want to thank you all for joining me today at NYCCI-N-E-L-L-I-S. This is Industry Night on Real Fun DC, Tuesdays at 7 p.m., Of course, you can subscribe and hear it whenever you want. Uh, So I don't know what to tell you people who aren't vaccinated, but I just go get vaccinated. Wear a mask and airline industry. Get your act together. Everybody else, have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.